In case you missed it, this is the replay of the Navigating an Important Meeting webinar. Also, at the end, there's information about everything is a negotiation program. If you're tired of not getting what you want, head to bosssurgery.com and sign up for Everything is a Negotiation. Welcome, surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we needed to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. I see folks starting to come in. Um, so I appreciate this. Even though this is a free webinar, I know that you spend your time here. So nothing is, is free in that respect. And so, I mean, your time is more valuable than anything. So I really appreciate y'all coming. And this is a topic that I thought would be a really great lead into, into the group coaching. My focus on that is everything is a negotiation. And the thing in the last two years, since I've been a surgeon coach, and in fact, I should back up. I think a lot of you maybe know who I am. I'm um, Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon. I've been coaching surgeons primarily, although I have, uh, you know, both male and female and also some non-surgeons that I've been coaching. And one thing that is absolutely universal over time is meetings. And it's just interacting with other people. It's the daily meetings. It's the formal meetings. All of those things really weigh heavily in our mind. And I thought that'd be a good place to start. And there was a recent post in one of the surgery groups that talked about an interaction in the operating room and very heavily centered on gender bias and, you know, some of the feelings behind that. And it's not my scenario to share, but I, I took that as in the framework of a scenario that I had um, probably maybe six months ago. And so I thought I would layer this idea of a difficult beating um, on top of a difficult topic on top of it. And so what I'm going to do is set up the scenario for you. And I want this to be interactive. I mean, this is not another boring meeting. You know, that's not the plan. Um, I really want to know what your thoughts are and your concerns are, what resonates with you um, and, you know, what helps. This is, these things are for you all. So I'm going to set the stage for a scenario. It was in, in the middle of the night. It was um, a very challenging case. And I was there with someone who I've interacted with before, you know, a little bit. I always thought that we got along and there was definitely something off. And this was the, um, the surgical um, assistant or the first assistant, I should say. And the case was a little bit challenging. You know, of course, it was at night. You know, I didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be there. Um, and you know, those cases are, I mean, you're in the middle of the night. It's difficult. Everything feels like a struggle. And, you know, it, there had been almost a two hour delay, delay to get to the OR. So I'm just irritated on top of it. And we're in the case and it just, it starts to something goes sideways. And, you know, I'm like trying to work and I feel like the first assist is working against me. And, you know, I finally just pause and like, what's going on? You know, what is, what is going on? You know, and being present in that time, trying to remember, like, what are the thoughts that were going through my mind? And this is like, well, this wouldn't happen to the guys. I don't need this. This is stupid. This is, you know, an important case. And this person is not helping what is going on. I mean, these are all the narratives that were going on in my mind at the time. And so it was a struggle. And I, I stopped and I was like, what is going on? And sis said, well, you've been giving me attitude this whole case. <laughs> And I'm like pausing, like, what is, what is going on here? And so this kind of led to sort of indignation. So it was a battle the whole time. It was extremely uncomfortable. And I finally, for the first time ever said, you must leave. You get out of the OR, you must leave. This is a difficult case. We're, you know, potentially getting into bleeding here and I don't need this from you. And I want you to go. And unfortunately, I said, you know, I said, call somebody else. And I have never done that before. It was that bad. And uh, so they did try to get hold of someone, but, you know, we're wrapping up the case and, and finally just had to work with this person with this extremely tense um, environment. And so at the end of the case, I, you know, told myself that this cannot happen. Of course, the, this kind of led to that um, post that resonated with me a little bit too, saying like, well, this wouldn't happen to the guys. You know, we, those are the things that we, especially as women tell ourselves too, because for one thing, gender bias is real. I mean, no one's going to argue with that part, but it's how we feel about it. It's how we interact with it. Those are the things 
that are underlying all of that. And I bring this scenario up especially because it leads to a meeting. Again, this is never have I tried to throw someone out of the OR, but after this, I was like, I will never do this again. This was a danger to the patient. This was extremely frustrating. I don't need this crap. You know, all of those things were in my mind at the time when I sat down initially um, to write an email. Like many of these high stakes things, sometimes really getting everything down initially, you know, what is the problem? You know, getting in touch with the people, going up the hierarchy, all those things are things that we could do ahead of time. So I framed it initially with an email because it was in the middle of the night and I didn't want to, you know, let this go. Cause like wake up in the morning and say, ah, oh, well, you know, whatever, it's not a big deal. In this particular case at the time, I was certain that this was a big deal. And that's why I initially put that. So I'm going to pause at the scenario at this point and say, this comes to our very first negotiation. Feel free to type in the chat. I'm interested to hear from you. Um, and that's why I didn't want to have slides. I wanted to talk more and I wanted to be able to see what you guys were saying as well. And so the very first negotiation in a meeting is how you hold that meeting. I looked up just out of curiosity because over the last you know, two years, as I've gotten a little bit more extensive in the vocabulary of things, I started looking up definitions for things. The idea of negotiation, uh, there's two, uh, going to the universal Google, of course. Negotiation is a discussion aimed at reaching an agreement. Simple enough, right? Discussion leading to an agreement. That was, you know, kind of what I was looking for was, you know, I need to negotiate in this particular scenario, you know, how this is going to work in the future. How do I deal with a, a difficult person in the operating room? So, and interesting enough, I went to Wikipedia where negotiation says a dialogue. So back and forth between two people with the intention of reaching a beneficial outcome regarding one or more issues of conflict. And so one is like, you know, we reach an agreement and one is like already kind of setting the stage for a conflict and reaching a beneficial thing and dialogue back and forth. And so in this particular setting, I thought the very first negotiation that you have with yourself is how do you interact with the people that you want to have some sort of change? So we're setting up this idea of a conflict. How do we resolve this? And my conflict was I had a surgical, a first assist that I had a conflict with, and I did not want that to ever happen again. And I thought that I did not want to let this drop because of the thoughts that I was telling myself about that situation. So I'm curious in your thoughts, do you tend to go towards email or in-person discussions with people? What are your thoughts? But yeah, email, in-person. So we got a 50-50 split so far. And for me, I chose email at that moment because it was the middle of the night and it was easy. And I personally like that to get my thoughts down. Now, the problem is, is that in a negotiation, yes, exactly. We're getting some more thoughts. Email, although in person is probably better. Email us, I think is really important than in person is probably better. And I would agree. I think, you know, email is like low stakes. I'm just like an FYI kind of thing. Um, and then when I've done in person, then I've always felt I was attacking them. I used to do everything in person. I, or they felt I was always attacking them. And you already start to see, you know, the ideas of what we think of an email in person. And a lot of it is based on our previous interactions. You know, we are now negotiating with ourselves of how are we going to present ourselves to that other person? So the first negotiation is writing things down or going in person. And in emails, I wrote down what my thoughts were about the choice. And, you know, I think this all, it, as you could tell, you guys' thoughts are coming from your past experience. Email means no confrontation. You know, no one, at least in that moment, feels like you're being attacked because you feel like you can state things and you don't have to worry about what you are going to say or how other people are going to feel necessarily um, as you type these words, because you know what you're going to say. Um, but the problem I think that we've all seen with emails is sometimes it loses tone. Um, and it's also not a dialogue of back and forth, or at least it's not an efficient one. And so in some ways, email is helpful because there's no potentially no interaction confrontation. You know, so there is either could be a peaceful dialogue, but there could also be an acrimonious one. Now, we also may worry, and this is me personally, I actually do very much as I stumble on words, much better writing stuff down. Um, I have a little bit of fear that I'm not going to be able to get my point across. 
that I say things so much better when I write them down. And so sometimes writing email for me is what I prefer. And sometimes I just want a record. I want that on record to say like, this is exactly what I said. This is exactly what happened. And so that was why I chose email in that moment was because of the time of the night, um, but also the fact that I just wanted to get the facts down, you know, the facts as I saw them. And in person, um, there's some benefit for this because you can read tone a little bit better and so can they. Um, we think that we're being very clear in email, but you never know how that's going to land for someone. And so there could be a little bit of pitfall in the uh, email perspective in that, in that point. Um, you also, it's a dialogue, it's back and forth. And if you trust yourself, and I think this is where a lot of us get into trouble when it comes to in person, is that we don't trust ourselves either to react in a way, maybe in the past we've gotten angry, uh, maybe in the past we've cried, you know, especially if this is a high staked thing, or maybe we stumble over words and we're afraid of how we may look. Those are all the things that can play into us not wanting to go in person. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't get confident if we don't do this, if we don't challenge ourselves to do a person. Yes, exactly. And, and I agree with Janelle's like a great point, not trusting that we're going to hold our composure. Um, and this is all based on our past experience. Because, you know, I mean, if you guys have kids, you know, they'll say the first thing on their mind, they give exactly no cares whatsoever. <laughs> but as adults, you know, a lot of times this fear based and is fear based on experience. And so we take this experience and it leads us to create these environments where they feel unsafe. So in-person feels unsafe and email is a little bit safer. And what I want to um, impart to you is that in-person with practice and experience and trust in yourself is how you're going to get the most out of interactions. And so we'll go through those, those different things. So the first thing, let's say, so now I've decided I've, I've sent my email, but I don't want to leave it at that. Um, I really think I really needed to follow through for it. So I decided to um, have a meeting with someone. And before I had that meeting, I went through a couple exercises of trying to see, and I've talked about this exercise before, how you know what you want. And that's the main thing is like we go to a meeting and we feel like we know what we want. We don't really think about it. So you first go in there into a meeting, not exactly clear what you want to say or what you want out of it. So the very first thing is to stop before the meeting and do a lot of planning. If you're worried about how you're going to respond, this is even more important. So the exercise that I've talked about before is, you know, what do you really want? And Typically what I, this exercise involves doing three columns and on this piece of paper, you write down, you know, what is my complaint? And my complaint was, I was disrespected. That was certainly, you know, of course the patient safety was one thing, absolutely. But really I was just indignant that I could not get this person to follow what I was doing. So I felt disrespected. The, the case was more difficult than it needed to be. The, I felt like the, the case was harder. I mean, was the patient truly endangered? No, I mean, it was gonna be fine, but it certainly made it harder. And therefore we could have potentially had a more, uh, more difficult outcome. I found myself more frustrated, which made um, you know the risk of a complication higher in that setting. Uh, it'd still be in my hands, but it was a situation that certainly set it up. So these were all the complaints that I had about that situation. And of course the underlying thing is like, this would not happen to a dude, you know, is that true or not? I don't know, I'm not a dude, but my perception is that, you know, the gender bias, obviously, again, not saying that that is debatable. I think we've all seen that. So I have this problem and then you turn your problem into what you want. So if I look at that list, you know, this person is just respecting me. What do I want? I want them to respect me. And then you go to your want to your greatest desire. Keep asking yourself, why do I want this person to respect me? Well, I want to be valued in here. You know, I want my experience to be appreciated. I want to, you know, not let attitudes get in the way. I just want the case to get done. It also, I want to be seen as someone, you know, who has experience and is doing all this stuff. And so going from the problem of disrespected to want to be respected to, you know, being held in some esteem and making the case go easier is one aspect. Um, and then we can go through each of those other things too. Interestingly enough, you know, the problem of like, they wouldn't treat the men like this. And what I want is to be treated equally to men. And why is that? It's like, I don't want to go into every single case feeling inferior. It's annoying as hell. Um, the other problem is that I want the patient 
to have a, a good uh, outcome or the, the complaint is, is I'm worried the patient's not gonna have a good outcome. And so my want is I want the patient to have a good outcome. And then the greatest desire is for the case to go well, the patient to go well, and you know everyone does their job and everyone's happy and this becomes you know, sort of a non-issue. The other greatest desire is to not let this take extra time, extra effort, um, you know, adding to all this, you know, the, we hear about the moral injury and burnout. And these are things that pile up over time. It's like, we have this case and then we have this case and all the extra layers on top of it that were completely unnecessary. We know they're unnecessary. So that was the first is understanding what I want. And that was helpful in understanding what I want, because now I kind of have a, f- a framework for the meeting. Before you go into that meeting, you want to start checking in with yourself. And this is where a lot of us haven't really developed the skill of how do you feel? And I know that feels very woo, especially for surgeons, but I could tell you it is so incredibly important to start understanding what our feelings are and getting a vocabulary for it. And, you know, I've, I've made this joke before, like when I first started this journey a couple of years ago, if someone asked how I felt, I said, happy, angry, sad, hungry. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, we just don't have that vocabulary. And the problem with not having the vocabulary about how you feel is that you can't start to articulate what you're thinking. And everything we do in life is to feel something. And once you realize that everything we do in life is to feel something, knowing what we want to feel and how we're feeling right now is the most important thing. So getting the vocabulary about feeling. And I talked about this in the complications webinar of the difference between guilt and shame, you know, after a complication or after, you know, a difficult conflict, you know, it's normal to have an uncomfortable feeling. If you have a bad interaction or if you had a complication, you know, you're not necessarily ever going to be like a, oh yeah, that great, that happened. I'm so happy that happened, you know, but can you get to um, a feeling that you could work with that is reasonable you know, like for complications, the easy one, this is true for even interactions too. When is it guilt? And when is it shame? They both feel a little bit similar, but there's a huge difference. You know, guilt is I feel bad, but I'm open to the world. I feel bad that this happened. I feel bad about the event. I feel bad about the confrontation. You know, I feel bad that that happened. Maybe I didn't represent myself well. You know, Feeling guilty about how you may have interacted is one thing, or feeling guilty about how I'm not sure if I caused it, but certainly I feel I feel kind of guilty that this kind of devolved into this thing because it's someone I did not typically dislike. So guilt will let you be open to suggestion. You can seek out, say, well, I feel bad. I don't understand why. So you ask around because you don't feel like it's necessarily you, but maybe I want to get better because I feel safe in this interaction because I don't think it's me. But shame is, is like, it's me. I'm the one that's causing the problems. You know, just there I go again, going off, you know, going off the rails and everybody knows it, you know, um, it's that inner dialogue that's leading to this feeling of shame. There's something wrong with me, this interaction happened because of me. Um, and then of course, if we think it's us, the last thing we're going to do is share it with other people. And so when we're feeling shame, we tend to hide we don't want to reach out. We never get any feedback, whether it is about us, we just assume that it is and hide. Or worse, we feel like it's us. We don't want to admit it. We attack the other person. So at least they'll get the heat magnet from it. You know, There's a lot of things that come up from these emotions, but understanding how you feel in the first place is helpful. And once you realize how you feel is then starting to trace why you feel that way. And the guilt and shame thing, kind of moving with that for simplicity, you know, guilt is I feel bad about the event, you know, really understanding the thought behind this. I feel bad that this happened, you know, something bad happened and this is how I feel. Um, That is leading to guilt, it's the event. And shame is, I always do this. This is just me, I fly off the handle. I mean, next case is just gonna be the same. Listening to that inner dialogue of those thoughts that we have that are leading to that feeling is the most important thing because those thoughts, that dialogue that we are not used to listening to, that is directing everything we do, everything that we feel in, in our day, every action that we take, every result that we get in our day is based on the thoughts, that internal dialogue that we tell ourselves. And 
the biggest problem that we have as surgeons is that we take everything we think as truth. And we're used to doing things. Something comes up, we're, we're fast acting, we're go-getters, we do things. We're used to making decisions quickly. So we have to rely on this inner dialogue that usually directs us in ways that help. And the problem is, and I think this is why a lot of times I see people mid-career, is that we don't realize all of these little things that add up over time. All of these things, you know, even going from the decision of an email to an in-person interaction is based on our little events that we've had beforehand. The, oh, I remember like in the back of our mind, it says it is not safe to meet in person. You are not to be trusted. We've done this before. You know, people feel like we attack them if we talk. It's that inner dialogue that's telling us, you know, there's uh, this great phrase, this itty bitty shitty committee in our head. <laughs> there's like this committee inside our head that's telling us all these things. Like, oh, hell no, they don't. I'm going to go right down to that office right now because, you know, I am, you know, be very cautious of the emotion of righteous indignation. You know, if you are feeling like you are absolutely right, that is the only way there is. And I cannot believe this is happening. And especially if you're tapping into this righteous indignation or anger, sometimes anger is easy to see, but anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is usually from something else. So anger is usually like a front for an emotion that you're not thinking about. When you feel anger, try to dig a little bit deeper. Where is that anger coming from? Because anger, a lot of times, especially in the situation, is coming from frustration, powerlessness, or feeling like little victim-y, you know, again, going back to the powerless. Anger itself is usually not terribly helpful. Anger is just like spinning in a circle. But when you drop in and say, ah, I'm feeling resentful, then that's a really great way to check in and say, why am I feeling resentful? What am I resenting? Or, you know, why am I feeling angry? I'm feeling powerless. And then to ask yourself, am I really powerless in this situation? And sometimes, sometimes we may feel like we are, but really that's where the anger is coming from. And so when you recognize where that feeling it or what that feeling is, then we can trace it back to that thought. I'm feeling powerless. Why? Because in that moment, there's no one backing up. I'm stuck here with this person. They can't get anybody else faster. I still need an extra pair of hands. I don't care if it's a monkey's hands, but unfortunately I'm stuck with this one. And, you know, <laughs> there's this sense of powerlessness because we're, we're trapped in a situation and, uh, and we don't like the situation. When you feel this idea of anger, indignation, you know, when you feel absolutely right, this is very important to pause and say, I'm feeling like someone's a villain. And if you're feeling like someone's a villain, then the problem now that you have is that you're putting yourself in the victim role. And you feel the very least like a victim because you feel I am right, you know, but really righteous indignation is victim. When we're feeling in a victim role, that is the fight, flight, or play dead. And sometimes it's the fight. And that's where we go off on, on folks. That's where it must we pause and check in and say, you know, let's, let's think about this for a minute. Let's really start to plan. What are my thoughts behind this? And are these thoughts true? And is holding on to these thoughts going to help us? Um, and really, and this is before any meeting that you have, especially if you're certain. And if you feel in deep in your bones that I am absolutely certain this is the right answer, then really make the case for yourself before you go in. Are you sure? And is it possible there's something else going on? So really understanding what you want out of it, how you feel, what you're thinking, setting that stage is most helpful. And then the next is to understand yourself a little bit. Like, what are your strengths typically? You know, able to talk easily, as you can tell I'm not. I'm more of a writer. <laughs> you know, and really understanding like, you know, how do I come across to people? Do I come across as caring? Do I come across as arrogant? Do I come across as, you know, railing at people? And having some insight into how people view you is helpful. So understanding yourself, and, and this is just out of curiosity, you do not want to use this as weapons against yourself. This is not building evidence to, you know, condemn yourself. This is simply asking the environment, how am I coming across? Is this what I want people to think? And an easy way to do this is to ask around to people that are around you say, what are my strengths? 
what are my weaknesses or another way some people are really off you know hard to, to tell what weaknesses are what are my strengths what do you think i need to work on you know those are some of the things that um, can give you some feedback for people that you care about and i had a course where we did this as an exercise and we sent those questions to people you had to send it to things like three people i think i ended up sending to six um, and it was interesting what came across because some things were really obvious but some things were not. And I think it was driven, hardworking and caring. And surprisingly, the caring was a surprise to me. I don't know what, and so knowing that that was, and actually a few people said that. So I did not realize that that's how I came across. I knew that I did, but I didn't know that it came across. And, you know, since that was listed as a strength, I started to kind of dropping into that. So now I really focused on the fact of making sure people knew that I cared. I cared about their, their outcomes. And that really helped recently with the patient interaction. But knowing what your strengths are and then maximizing those are helpful. And then knowing what you need to work on. And mine was not a surprise. You spread yourself too thin, you work too hard. But I like it. Work for other people is not work for me. But it's helpful to know what you need to work on because there were some things, you know, spread myself too thin. And so I kind of read into that a little bit saying, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not as available for people, or maybe they're at least getting the perception that I'm not as available. I still want to do some of these things, but maybe I can spend a little bit of time and, you know, make sure that they know that I'm there for them. I may not physically be there for them, but I'm available for them and really check in with the people that I care about. So that was an exercise that was helpful getting to know yourself before you go into the interaction so you can maximize your strengths. And other things that I've used in the past is the Sparkotype, that's a quick quiz, it's free. There's a book that's pretty nice too, but the quiz is like five minutes and it really gives some insight into some of the things that your, your strengths are. And then the second is the situation itself. In this particular instance, I was I have certain, righteous indignation. I was certain I was right. I was certain that this was disrespectful and this was ridiculous and terrible and all the things. But as you can imagine, if you've ever been in the scenario, have you ever asked people around? So I asked the CRNA, I was like, did you see that? Isn't that ridiculous? And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I was really kind of uncomfortable. It's like, wasn't that just ridiculous what she was doing? And he's like, you know, then you get the kind of like back and away uncomfortable silence. And like, and then some doubt creeps in is like, are other people seeing this? And this is what happens when you go in for an interaction for a she said, she said kind of thing. It's a no-win situation to lead in with a situation like that like an interpersonal conflict, because no one around there wants to get involved. Uh, for one thing, because it's nebulous, you know, who knows what's actually going on. I know what was going on in my mind, who knows what's going on in her mind, but she was certain of it. And the people around don't necessarily know all these things. And so what I thought was clear to everybody may have only been just a little bit of a hint. There's certainly some uncomfortableness to it, but maybe it wasn't as, you know, overt to everyone else, which means that if you were to ask everyone else, they're not going to back you up. So because maybe they just didn't see that this way, it's recognizing that everyone has their own version of reality. Now, someone said this a while ago and I was like, no, there's one reality, but really what it is, everyone has their own reality, because reality is what we tell ourselves in a moment. Reality is our thoughts that we have in that moment that lead us to a feeling, that lead us to act in a certain way. Um, so when you recognize that, yes, they're coming, their answer is coming from their reality, they're actually not wrong. You know, my thoughts are coming from my reality. I agree, Liz. Yeah, perception is the reality. It's not arguing with someone else's reality. You know, they have their own thoughts based on their own experiences. And so in this particular instance is recognizing there's a reality that you're not seeing. Um, and I think that's really important when you're interacting with someone else. And I, I forgot the exact literature that I saw, but, you know, the amount of thoughts that people pick up in a conversation is only like a few points. So if you're going in there with this whole barrage of things, they can't possibly catch all that information. And so recognizing that, you know, we can set that stage, we could set what we want in a person, um, you know, when we're interacting with another person, but what we perceive is what's going on. It's not necessarily what they perceive. So that's the first thing is, and so in summary, like before you go in this meeting, I mean, this is a lot of prep beforehand, but knowing what you want, knowing how you feel, knowing what you're thinking, knowing what your strengths are and how to lead from that strength, 
And understanding that there's different realities in a situation, that people can say something different, maybe even completely opposite, and not be wrong. And having the benefit of the doubt is very important before you go into a meeting. So then before you go into the, like right before, what you want to do is determine what is success to me. In this meeting, what can I determine is going to be success in this meeting? And so you decide, even before you walk in that door, what success is. And this is extremely important because I think a lot of times we don't like to go in and interact with people in the world because we're afraid of typically our autonomic responses. And the more, and I'm not a neuroanatomist, I know we all took it. <laughs> I remember some of it. But you know, as an estimate, about 90%, we are in our primitive brain of just getting getting along, you know, based on our experience, there's the, I just got to get things done. I don't want to think too hard. That's way too much energy. So a majority of our brain is interacting with all the experiences that we've had before. And if you have had lots of traumatic experiences before, and a lot of times we mean, I mean, I've had a great life. I don't have a lot of traumas. It's not true. You know, all of us went through very traumatic medical school, residency, interactions with others. It's these little micro traumas that add up to give us a perception of the safety of our environment. So when you go into this meeting, whether you feel like this environment is going to be safe or not is based on your experiences. And you may not even have a lot of insight into how traumatized your brain has been from all of these experiences. And it's simply just an observation of recognizing everything is first filtered through that primitive brain, because it's like we're still in the jungle, trying not to get eaten by, you know, lions and tigers. So our brain has to scan the environment. Is it safe? And then it reaches. So imagine it being just filtering through that. And so if you have a lot of trauma, it takes a while to filter through that thinking part of our brain. So the very first thing is dialing down the autonomic response. And the very first thing that we can do to dial down that autonomic response, there's two skills. One I've talked about before and one not as much um, except in coaching environments. And one is deciding what success looks like. What, what is success in a meeting that you can 100% control? And I'm interested, what are your thoughts going into any meeting that you can guarantee success in any meeting that's completely within your control? Any thoughts? Yes, listen more than I'm talking, absolutely. Um, understanding the other party's point of view, absolutely putting yourself in their shoes, absolutely. An easy way to think of that is the spotlight. If you're in a, a, a meeting and you feel like the spotlight is on you, then you're not thinking about anybody else. You know, you're, you're under the spotlight, you're feeling under attack. And if you're feeling that way, then the easiest way to do that is to move that spotlight on someone else. Put yourself in their shoes, ask them a question, you know, get them talking. So you're listening more than talking. You guys hit the nail on the head and success under your control, maintaining composure and not getting surprised or rattled. So exactly my success to me is anticipating they're going to say something that's going to piss me the hell off. <laughs> I'm going to be fine. <laughs> so one thing is expect the unexpected. The other thing is that if you go in and my goal in a meeting is to get information. My goal in a meeting is to hear what they have to say. My goal in a meeting is actually a question that I ask myself is there's something I'm missing. And when you go into a meeting with the intention of getting information, attention of figuring out what you're missing and creating safety in that space. And the more safe you are with yourself and creating safety for yourself and allowing the consideration to feel safety for them as well, which means they're going to be heard because what does create safety for them being heard and knowing that you care about their response. Um, and in the end, it's just two people, sometimes maybe more, but typically it's just two humans interacting with a dialogue with intention of reaching a beneficial outcome regarding one or more issues of conflict. I like Wikipedia's definition a little better than that. You know, the problem we have with meetings is we make them so high stakes. We dial up our autonomic response all the time because of our background in surgery, you know, or, or even medicine, some of you I know are not, but the it's the decisiveness. 
we have a problem. We have to fix the problem. So everything feels like yes or no. And no is unacceptable. No is failure. Failure, people die. And we are not really geared to allow no. And if you're going into this meeting, you've dialed up this meeting to a yes or no answer. And if you go in there saying, I have to, I have to succeed, I have to win, then what you've done is you've made this now a battle. And instead of you know a battle, you might win it, you might lose it. And that's what, what feels dangerous. If you instead say, they can say whatever they want. I'm just here to learn. I'm just here to get some information. There's something I need to know. There's something that they know that I don't. And that's why we're having this meeting. If you take this as this is just a meeting, it's not the be all end all, you know, and nothing's necessarily going to happen. We automatically dial down the stakes. We guarantee success ahead of time. We can walk in the room and walk into that room like it's no big deal because it's really not. It's another day and more information. And we are safe to hear information. We are safe to hear something unexpected. And so then you start to say, how do I plan ahead for the unexpected? You know, actually those three things, getting information. First, how do we get information? We ask questions. We make it receptive. We reflect back the last thing they say. We mirror what they say. People, that's a really effective technique of saying like, well, we don't have the money for that. Have the money for that? You, you're demonstrating that you're listening to them, but not agreeing with them and not adding anything to it. But by, by mirroring what they say and asking a question, it invites them to say more because now they feel safe. Ah, this person's listening. They're hearing what I have to say and they're not currently under attack or attacking me. So creating an environment where they can be heard and getting the information. And that leads again to this, the feeling of safety. Like the more you, safe you feel, the more safe they're gonna feel, just a dialogue, not a high stakes meeting. And then um, the third thing, I totally forgot what the third thing was. Oh, getting thrown for a loop is expect the unexpected. And so they may say something. You might know what your triggers are and you may not. You know that it's possible. And so how are you going to manage a trigger? Anyone successfully managed a trigger? Any thoughts there? Um, I can tell you what has worked for me. Uncomfortable silences or pauses or asking questions. If someone triggers you, the first thing we want to do is respond. Either be silent, shut down. We can't think. Pinch myself. Yeah, there you go. Look kind of like slapping someone upside the head, but pinching is a little bit more socially acceptable. <laughs> I love it, Aaron. Finding a way to get us out of that, because what happens is we go internal, and then we assume that 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 you know it's usually triggering something like guilt or shame. Typically, shame because it's about us. And if we can find a way where I can hear anything that they have to say. And thinking ahead of time, um, I've talked about visualization before, but the person, if this person doesn't feel safe to you, you just picture them. I think, I think I've said it before, full on clown, get up, nose, the wig, everything, the ridiculous shoes, you know, the more you can kind of drop into that immediate visualization of something and it triggers you into feeling safe again. Now that person doesn't feel unsafe. Now that now it feels ridiculous. You can laugh and therefore dialing down your autonomic response pinching yourself, physical, a somatic reaction to it. And if they say something, it's reminding yourself, this is just words. It's not the truth. It's not the be all end all. You know, if they say directly, no, or, you know, that you always say this, something that's, you know, feels ridiculous. And again, you could mirror, I always do this, you know, and then they have to explain. It actually gives them a little bit of a pause too. And so if you, pause for a minute, even reflect back what they say, or I don't understand. Can you say that again? Maybe, maybe I'm not really getting your point. And, or just pausing saying, just waiting. Yes, I recently discovered that smiling at them works wonders. Yes, it's disarming. I smile, even though I really want to do the opposite. It puts them at ease and then shockingly they start smiling. Yes, you know, they're working on their 90% of their primitive brain as well. You know, it's, because people are about to eat us, do not smile at us. <laughs> uh, and so exactly all those things that diffuse the situation. And these are things within our control. And again, I, I like to do that visualization of the spotlight. And if you feel like you're under that, moving it away. Uh, and understanding what your specific triggers are. Um, I've worked with some folks who like their shoulders start to tighten. Then you know, ah, okay, I need to relax. You know, being kind of like a red flag that something's about to come. 
and or your cheeks get red. I need to find a way to dial down this response. You know, maybe I'll just completely change directions and ask them about something personal or, you know, like, so how about your kids or whatever, you know, something to get you off the subject, something to really kind of dial down that response when you start to feel this. Uh, so those are the, the autonomic things. The other thing is, is, you know, again, this idea of a black swan, Chris Voss talks about this, there's something that we don't know. And this is why I think in-person meetings are helpful, especially if you're talking about wanting something. I recently was talking about a partner and then came up the things that they were thinking about too, like, well, the expense of all this and, you know, the, we have to make sure that um, there's these laws to where we can't um, over-recruit physicians. So we could only provide support um, and because initially it was no. And then by the third visit, I found out the problem was, is that they wanted to uh, make sure that the other surgeons had maximized their clinic. And there was this particular report that they, they pulled every three years that gave information. And so over time in meetings, I found those are just the two objectives that I had. And so by, you know, being inquisitive and asking like, okay, so what's it going to take for it? Because no is the beginning of the negotiation. And I never knew this um, until Chris Voss talked about it. But if they say no, like, oh, no. Okay. So what, what would it take to get to yes? Well, you have to have this report and you have to show that the, the surgeons are maximizing their clinic. Like now, bingo, I've got my marching orders. So I, I first I investigated this report, total crap, because the report itself was flawed. It was outdated. It was three years ago. They had surgeons that were not even here anymore. They didn't have surgeons who were. They had one classified as a general surgeon who was a breast surgeon. And so first I was like, okay, so I know you're focusing on this report, but your report is flawed. And the second is that um, the everyone else's clinic has to be full. And I was like, well, how can I control what they do? You know, I can only control me and I'm drowning and I'm not sure what I can do with that. And so this is some techniques, some negotiating techniques that Chris Voss talks about. Uh, so getting to know is actually what you want. You want to hear why they're saying no. They're giving you your next instructions. They're telling you what to do next. So once you're safe and hearing something and, and you know, being inquisitive about why, that's what's going to give you your, your next steps. The other thing, I just listened to this recently, um, this is Brenda Burchard, who has a great podcast. Um, he was talking about interactions with other people and being future focused. So we know we're going to work with these people in the future. Like, you know, right now in the moment, everything feels urgent and, you know, it feels like this powerful emotion here, but we forget we have to interact with this person tomorrow and being future focused is understanding what do I want this relation to look relationship to look like tomorrow? I know what I feel right now. You know, I know what I want right now, but what am I going to want tomorrow? And is that going to change how I interact today? If I want them to respect me tomorrow, I have to be very respectful today. And I can be respectful even if they are not, because how I react how I act says something about me and how they act says something about them. And so having the ability of knowing that you can act yourself in a certain way, regardless of what that other person does is very powerful because now you're in control of how you act. You're not reactive to them. You have an internal compass of how you're going to act. And it's regardless of how they're going to act because you're thinking about how you're going to feel tomorrow in the meeting, just kind of a summary, the autonomic response the pauses, going in with notes too. I go with notes all the time. I was like, give me a minute. I'm just going to check this, make sure I've covered everything. I have no shame in checking my notes. Um, understanding I may be missing something, understanding how I'm going to respond to triggers and then reminding myself, this is just another person and I'm going to have to work with them tomorrow. So then that transitions into what you're going to do afterwards. If you're new to this whole interacting, I challenge you guys to, whenever possible, have these interactions, try these things in real life. You know, confidence is, is built on doing things over and over again and telling yourself you could do it. Self-confidence means you know you could do anything. And confidence means I know I could do this because I've done it before. Uh, so you have to have both self-confidence in a new interaction and confidence is built over time by experience typically by doing it wrong, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so that's the most important thing is putting these things, especially in even these low interact, your low stakes interactions, like, 
you know, when you're talking to someone, where's the spotlight? Am I being inquisitive? Am I thinking about them? Am I creating some pauses? Can I try some mirroring? You know, some of these techniques that I'm planning on talking about in the group coaching program. Uh, and so that is the interaction. Very, very powerful. But don't lose the lessons. You know, immediately afterwards, pause and, and think. Sometimes you may not know exactly how you feel at the moment, but immediately afterwards to say, how do I feel now? Do I feel reassured? Do I feel uncomfortable? Do I feel a little bit of regret? Um, do I feel a little bit of fear? What's going to happen tomorrow? Um, you know, really check in with yourself. Of like, what are all my feelings about this? And then from your feelings, like, what are my thoughts about it? What are my thoughts about myself? What are my thoughts about them? Is this what I want to hold on to? Is this how I want this to go? And, you know, really understand like what went right in this interaction and what went wrong? What could I have done better? Um, and really getting a lot of learning from that experience. And afterwards, you know, remembering that you know what happened in that meeting, but maybe you missed something and you think they know what happened, maybe they missed something. This I think is where email could be very helpful in follow-up. And I typically like to do this as a record of saying, thank you so much for meeting with me. I really you know, felt like I understood a lot and there were some things that I hadn't considered. And so here are my takeaway points for that. Um, and you know, going back to that scenario I was telling you about, um, just kind of wrapping that up, uh, I found it afterwards, it's like people around did not see that interaction like I did. Their perception of reality was a little bit different. And so going into the meeting in, in, in this particular meeting and saying like, you know, she needs to be fired, she needs to go away. You know, for one thing was not being considerate of what I was going to have to deal with that person. It's the only person at night. That's a bit of a problem. So they'd have to switch their whole schedule. Do you think anyone's really going to do that for me? No. And do I think that they should? No. Um, so really I had to figure out how um, to, to deal with this person day to day. I felt like saying this was helpful. Like that meeting of saying that this interaction cannot happen again. You know, I felt okay saying that part. But there was something that I was missing. And this was someone who I had been able to talk to before. And so this goes into the idea of future focused and missing something. So at some point I finally did talk to her. I was very angry for a while because I felt very disrespected, which by the way, is always a trap. Um, and you know, you know, clearly victimhood was, was hard at work there with my righteous indignation. Anyway, so I finally talked to her um, and come to find out that she was under a lot of stress at home and she was at her wit's end. She walked into that hospital with, you know, like a hair trigger and um, was really suffering and would not have known that because I was not trying to put myself in her shoes. I was not trying to think of things from her perspective. And, uh, you know, even though I was focused on the task and it had been frustrating for them as well, getting to that moment of that two hour delay. You know, when I put that in, into that perspective, really recognizing that she had a lot of problems going on there too. And how long afterwards, how, oh yeah, that's a good point. Um, it was like two days, maybe three. It was not immediately afterwards. I really, you know, was at, at the point of like, never again, ever. Yeah, struggling, no one to bring up stuff later. Yeah. and you know, that's a good question. Answer that for you. When should you bring it up? It's a tough one, isn't it? And the answer, I'll give you the answer. Lean in really close. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you bring it up. You bring it up when you trust yourself to bring it up. And if you, and, and I know you, and this would not surprise me that you bring it up in the moment because you know who you are. It's very easy to bring up something when you know who you are and you feel confident in yourself. Um, and so a lot of people that are very confident can bring it up at the moment because they feel safe with who they are. You know, you are not an insecure person. You know, you're dealing with insecure people that are acting like, you know, in ways the insecure people way act. But when you're secure, you can interact in that moment. The problem is, is recognizing this is, you know, if someone feels attacked, that is their feeling. Now, I think you have to kind of take into consideration if everyone you interact with feels attacked, that's one thing. But if one person that you interact with feels attacked, that's them, that's not you. You can't make somebody feel that way. You can't talk to someone and make them feel attacked. They have to have a thought about that that's going to lead them to feeling attacked. I know this is a really kind of an interesting concept, 
But if you think about the feelings or things that we have, we generate the feelings based on our thoughts and, and everyone provides the circumstance, the experience in which we think this, then in that moment, anyone could feel attacked. We could be like Mary Poppins and they'll feel attacked. I mean, she honestly is like kind of creepy in witchcraft, but whatever, <laughs> kidding. Um, but in this particular moment, you know, addressing in the moment because you feel secure and doing so is not wrong. If you don't necessarily trust yourself, for me in particular, you know, I was like, I need to think this, I need to process this. You know, I'm a little bit more of, you know, analytical. I've got to like pat, you know, um, separate myself a little bit. And, you know, I had a little bit of avoidance. I didn't really want to talk to her. I was still, as I was angry and frustrated. I didn't understand where she was coming from. And so, you know, the interaction was very uncomfortable and it was not really because I chose it. It's because it's, I, I work in a small hospital and I had to interact with her. So, you know, my thought leading to that interaction is I have to do this. This is not going to get better. They are not going to support me because after that meeting, they basically, you know, that was the trap of like, well, she was disrespectful. She should never come in. Like, well, that's all we got. I'm like, well, crap. And then, you know, I saw from the perspective, of course they can't do anything about it. So my choice of talking to her was not really my choice. It was more now I was in the future. Now I was like, well, crap, I've got to work with this anyway. And so in that interaction, this very uncomfortable, I would have avoided it to kingdom come if I had a big hospital and found other ways to not interact with it. I mean, I really did not want to interact with it, but I had to. And I was kind of glad that I did. And this is where I think, um, in that post that, you know, I, I kind of chose the scenario for that reason. In that post, some of these people that are in big hospitals can do that. You can avoid people. You don't have to have the uncomfortable interaction. Um, but if you're in a smaller hospital, the benefit is you get to have these interactions. You know, you get to see the other side of this. You get to know people and you get to be in the, the shoes of the person across from you a little bit more and start to realize they're under a whole lot more pressure than we are. We're working hard and everything's frustrating and there's a lot riding on us. They have a lot of stuff outside. They don't make as much as we do. They may have more responsibilities. Um, they may have people that they're supporting. Um, there's a lot to the person that's across from you. And with that righteous indignation, and if you're the victim, you're not actually looking at that other person. You're not looking at what they may be struggling with. You are so certain that you're right and that they are the, the villain. You're not open to hear what they have to say. They also don't have as much control of the situation as we do, right? Um, and, you know, when we put ourselves in this, I'm not saying, now, and the problem is when you, when you say some of these things like, well, then you're just supposed to accept it. Well, no, but I think you just have to be smarter about it. You know, and this is the whole purpose of negotiation. Um, and this is actually kind of a nice segue into um, the group coaching aspect of it too. This uh, concept of everything is negotiation is exactly that. Everything is an interaction with ourselves. And in this, um, I think I posted in the Facebook group about the different um, areas of negotiation. There is internal, the negotiation with ourselves. We have an internal dialogue all the time. We have an internal dialogue regarding our um, negotiation with uh, time, with our feelings, and getting back, yeah, finding, asking the are you okay goes a long way. Oh, there's a great book. Actually, I have it right here. What Happened to You? Bruce Perry and, and uh, Oprah Winfrey. This is a, you must get this book, everybody. <laughs> um, what it is, instead of asking what's wrong with you, is to ask what happened to you. And when you put it in that perspective, then you stop judging people. If you say like, what's wrong with you? We judge them. You know, if we say what happened to you, that drops us into compassion and seeking understanding more than, you know, blame and judging. And at this idea of asking, are you okay? Yes, love the book, isn't it great? Um, you know, asking what happened to you or what's going on with you. And, you know, really you don't have to say that what you're doing is okay or that say, even saying, say, I, I sense a change in you and not even saying like, you know, you're kind of like feisty today, you know, just saying like, I sense a change in you, you know, acknowledging the fact that they're not acting like they normally do. Um, and really being very, having some of these ready phrases on hand or when you have an uncomfortable interaction that invites safety, is your question inviting safety? So for the negotiation, 
negotiating with ourselves. Why do we do things that we do as far as time? Why do we accept things that we do? You know, we negotiate with ourselves and sometimes we're terrible at negotiating with our future self. <laughs> our future self is terrible at negotiating with us. You know, me, us in the moment are, are like deciding all kinds of things for them. And we don't care what they think, the person in the future. Um, interacting with other people. Like how do we get people, how do we get our way? How do we get heard day to day? And, you know, how do we interact? And a lot of this was in work because that was the, the post that kind of led to this um, of, you know, how do we interact with others? How do we get what we want at work? And a lot of it is just understanding what got us to there to the first place and understanding some simple techniques that can help. And then moving on from that, I put the, since we only have a few minutes left, I put the sales page on the bosssurgery.com if you wanted to see what it's about. It is a three-month group coaching program, and it's going to be very similar to this. You know, I, I purposely did this to put it exactly how this would go. This is not really a coaching call. This is more information, but coaching calls are a little bit more interaction, bringing people on, really exploring the internal thoughts that we don't even know that we're having. And what that does is it allows us to learn if you're in this, if you bring a group together that's in a similar situation, like surgeons and high achievers and, you know, physicians that are interacting in the hospital with the same problems, then you get a lot more power from just individual. Individual is very, very helpful because it's one-on-one, a hundred percent focused on you and getting your results. The power of a group is a little bit different in that dynamic where now you can see yourself in someone else. If the group is chosen well, then you say, I have that problem too. And they can offer thoughts to you that you may not even know you're having. So the closer a group is to who you are, then the more you're going to get out of it. Um, And then also, I think a little bit of uh, guidance, not too rigid, but the focus. And so the, how I've learned to adapt, it was a little bit by what Melissa was talking about, the group that we're in, I really liked how she focused on sending an email ahead of time of asking some thoughtful questions, not too heavy, because really it's not me telling you what to do. I'm just prompting. So you know what to do, like, you know, what's going on in your mind. And then having a few moments at the beginning to talk about something and then really launch into real world aspects. What are we going to do? What have we learned? You know, how can we change and, you know, what can we learn about how we're interacting with the world and then moving on from that. And I do think some consistency is helpful. So um, it's 12 weeks, one hour at a time. I set the dates and the times on there. They're six o'clock central. And I think I alternate Sunday and Wednesday and Thursday based on the call schedule. So I basically looked at my call schedule, found days that are, you know, this is exactly when I'm going to show up. The focus is there starting start to finish. How can I start to negotiate in ways that are going to give you what I want? You know, how can I negotiate with myself? When am I going to stop lying to myself? You know, when am I going to be more reasonable? And I really want to focus on practical aspects of it too. These are workshops I've been working on a lot um, that I've given a little bit, but I've really honed them down a little bit more important over time. Time management is not just time management. You know, it is the mentality behind it that's very important, but I think there's also some practical aspects. Those of you familiar with Monday Hour One, some of it is like that, but I also take um, a a couple of other things, getting things done and the now habit, using some of those things to get out of the way. And I get asked all the time, how do you get so much done? And I drop a lot of indulgent thoughts to to get to where. So I can actually do a lot um, with more intention and planning. You know, I negotiate all the time with my current and future self. So, and the other aspect is a stop self-sabotage workshop and workshop sounds really lame, just kind of webinar does, but really what it is, is focusing on like, I want to understand why we self-sabotage, but I also want to like, let's, let's have real things. Like, how are we actually going to get past all this? How are we going to overcome self-sabotage? You know, what are the traps that we're falling into and what are practical ways to get out of it? Um, and then the negotiation strategies. I'm a huge fan of Chris Voss and just his techniques. I mean, clearly he was an FBI negotiator and a lot of people have learned a lot of these negotiation tips over time, but I kind of like naming them and seeing them like the mirroring, the accusation audits and all these other things and practicing with them. Um, and you may not get, get, it's going to take a while to get better. He has a great example in his book, Chris Voss does. So he's been doing this for years and he teaches his son this. 
and he's there with his son and someone else. And this guy is using all of his techniques against him and he doesn't recognize it. And his son's like laughing in the background going, dad, did you see what he just did to you? <laughs> so that actually told me, it gave me a little bit of grace saying, okay, I guess I can't read this book and figure it all out in once, but Anyway, so the information is on um, the bossurgery.com website. The first call is sometime next week. And I do hope you all consider it too. I mean, I think a well-placed group is fun and it's interesting and we learn a lot. And the, the better match the group is, the more we can learn from each other. And this is uh, very similar to what it'd be, except a little bit more coaching involved, because I really want to get to know you, several of you I know already, um, and then, you know, have, have chatted with a, a number of times. And so um, using those things, especially people that you know, and getting to know you is really how we um, create lasting change. And so even though it's uh, three months, it's really mostly just um, extending that time of how you're going to take all these things, learn something and really, you know, take it for the rest of your life. But anyway, if you have any further questions, you know, certainly let me know. The information's on the website. Happy to answer any questions. And I'm sure I'll be sending some more information out as we go along. Sign up for everything is a negotiation program at bosssurgery.com.